Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back for another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me is my co-host, Back from the Dead. Hey, I'm here. I'm glad you're back from the dead. I'm still alive. I wasn't abducted by South American drug lords. Like, I'm going to spread that. Was that a possibility? Sure. I'm going to spread that rumor on on social media. All right. Sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) With us today, joining us today is Laurel Hightower. Laurel Hightower grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. And after forays into California and Tennessee, has returned home to horse country. She's a fan of true life ghost stories, horror movies, and good bourbon. She is the author of Whispers in the Dark, Crossroads, and Below, and has more than a dozen short story credits to her name, including publications through Burial Day Press, Cemetery Gates, Bridget's Gate, Dead Sea Press, Brian Keene's Patreon, and Dark Heart Books. Crossroads was the recipient of an Independent Audiobook Award in 2020 in the category of Best Horror, as well as the This Is Horror Best Novella Award for 2020. She has also co-edited three anthologies, We Are Wolves, a charity anthology released in 2020 by Burial Day Press, The Dead Inside, an anthology of identity horror released in 2022 by Dark Dispatch, and Shattered and Splintered, a charity anthology released in 2022 to benefit the Glen Haven Area Volunteer Fire Department, who saved the historic Stanley Hotel from wildfires in 2020. Every Woman Knows This is her first collection out March 3rd. Thank you for joining us today, Laurel. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. And it's only when I hear that read out loud how uh, really overly long that bio is. One might say, one might say overly long. One might say, like, really just impressive. I mean, yeah. this is uh, a lot of really excellent stuff. You know, having having read most of what's on this list, I can uh, attest like this is really, really good literature. So Thank you. I really appreciate that. So we brought you on to talk today just about um, some of your career as a writer and and to talk a bit about your upcoming collection. Every woman knows this, um, which, you know, I'm just going to plug right now is probably one of the best first collections I've ever seen, Um, you. you know, from any author. It's really phenomenal stuff. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. There is something about short stories for me that is very um, unnerving. Um, there's just, and I don't know if it's because you don't have as much time, you know, with the reader to like bring them in and there's not as much uh, other stuff to, to make up for any deficiencies, you know? So I'm just mm. like, it might just suck. I don't know. So putting together a collection was a little <laughs> bit like should I do this? You know, because maybe someone missed how bad that one story was. I don't want to bring their attention to it. So. <laughs> now, are all of the stories in this uh, like previously published or it, I felt like there was some new stuff in here too. Yeah. There's at least five new pieces. Um, I feel like there might've been one too that we didn't list as new because I think it had been, 
I can't remember. I think it, there was, it, it had been slated for publication or something and then it, and it never was. So, but definitely at least five new, uh, new pieces. And most of those were pretty, of pretty good length. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was really pleased, I think with the um, variety of stuff that we get in here because we get some really short kind of like, almost like flash fiction kind of um, vignettes. I think that you call them vignettes of womanhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which uh, are really like short, but impactful. And then we get some of the stuff that I think is a lot more um, like it's short stories. So to, to call them kind of narratively driven is, you know, it's short stories. So you get, um, I think you get, you know, a variety of like good, solid stories, but, you know, like really well contained. Um, I, so I just, that, I like the, the variety. Yeah. So Thank what you. does that craft look like for you? What is that, that choice? I mean, I know the choices like I'm making when I choose between like a novel or a short story or something. So what about you? What, how do you determine those elements of craft when like, you're going to say, okay, I'm sitting down for this short story. What do I need to to do versus something longer like below or crossroads or even a full length novel. Yeah, for the most part, it's pretty clear to me when something is just meant to be of short story length. And it's something that, you know, like I, and I can't even remember this. I got some just amazing advice about writing short stories um, from uh, like John Langan um, and John F.D. Taff, who honestly, I, I would not, I probably wouldn't have short stories out if it weren't for uh, John, but um it it's just like okay you zoom in you know and for me like what I want to what I want to express what I want to get across in a short story is this sort of single screen kind of horrific element and you know either the irony or the the uh impact or or the character reaction that I want to cover with it and it's usually pretty clear to me like this is going to be like a you know couple thousand word or 3000 word something sort of story to get us from here to here. Um, and I'm not trying to accomplish anything large with that. You know, it's more just like a, like a brushstroke. This is what I want you to see out of this story. This is what I want to say, or maybe it's just, this is this line that I wrote that I really love and I want to throw it out there and, you know, assign it to something. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I can see the economy in a lot of the stories that you write. Um, and and one of the reasons why I, I feel like this collection is so amazing is because I feel like the short story form allows you to tackle a really prominent theme, you know, to, to make a really declarative statement um, that may get lost in something, you know, longer form like a novella or uh, a novel. You know, I, I feel like a novel is kind of a playground for a lot of different ideas, whereas the short story is like, you really got to focus on one singular idea. Um, and so thematically, we see, I think we see a lot of, of what you want to say in these stories come out, you know, because of their compact length. So I, I kind of want to pitch to you a little bit, when you were putting together every woman knows this, you know, what were some of the things that you wanted to explore through this short fiction? Um, I probably, I, now I'll preface this by saying I'm definitely a plotter. Um, I, I don't, I'm not good at pantsing. I, I, I can't control myself. I just wander off into weird tangents and, you know, crazy shit happens. So I don't, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't, I don't 
just launch into it, but um, don't give me credit for having like an idea ahead of time being like, this is the <laughs> thing that I would, you know, this is thematically what I want. A lot of times what happens and, and this is just, I, I honestly at no point set out to write feminist fiction, but apparently I can't write anything of any length without going there. And so I'm just going to embrace it and be like, yeah, this is where I'm at. This is what I have to say. Um, so I think it's more just that with each individual story, I, there is an emotion I want to convey. Sometimes I'm just being silly and, you know, trying to do something kind of funny. Um, there's, I think those stories are not in this one because we determined tonally, they didn't really fit, you know, with the other ones. Um, mm. but yeah, for the most part, it's just like, and this is gonna, this is probably gonna sound a little bit pretentious, but um, one of the things that I just adore about writing and some of the feedback that I get is um, putting something like that's a that's a vastly universal or, or very wide, wide experience for somebody and mm. putting it into words that like just make people read it and say, oh, yes, been there. This is me. That's the emotion I felt. And now I feel really seen by it. Um, I feel very much like Kevin Smith is one of my favorite directors. And I feel like that's something he's amazing at, like, particularly so like you're chasing Amy, right. You know, when mm. Silent Bob goes on his little diatribe or whatever, and you're just like, yeah, I've had those feelings, those insecurities and, and, you know, to lay it out there with these characters that you can, you know, maybe identify with, maybe not in the case of like Jay, but in mm. any case, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing is very appealing to me. Um, and so that's more what I'm trying to, you know, get across. And there've been a few times, um, um, though your heart is breaking is I, I'm pretty sure that was the first short story that I ever wrote and well, <laughs> that I finished, we'll say that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I got, we just published it just for free online. And, and I got a whole lot of feedback from people who connected with elements of it, such as the fertility issues and, mm. you know, but again, like, you know, that, that sparked because a bunch of women were having like a, we had a Gemma Amore had, had started a thread about the worst time someone asked you to smile. Um, oh, and yeah. so the number of times I got, uh, messages from people who discovered it later, you know, and said, wow, this, you know, this particular thing happened to me, or I felt this. And to me, that's the most rewarding thing because on the flip side, I know that, um, those have been really meaningful things to me is when I've read somebody's story and said, oh, I never knew how to put this into words and I never made this connection. And now I feel less alone, you know, or, or I mm -hmm. feel much more connected to, to the human race by being like, ah, this is more universal than I thought it was. That's, that's exactly how I thought about like, I mean, we're, I can't identify like the feminist kind of, um, kind of, conventions within say some of the short stories but also uh the two that really um kind of echo with me are, are below and crossroads um and i can recognize I, I i empathize with both women and those novellas i mean obviously i, I mean awesome. i'm not a woman so i don't it's not on that that feminist or that that kind of level it's just this humanistic kind of level i i i empathize with both of them because they are they're going through such powerful kind of emotions i mean i feel like with with below i i almost want to call it like a an imposter syndrome that i can kind mm. of identify with that she's kind of going through and yeah. then with, with um shoot is it chris chris, chris and, yeah chris and in yeah. crossroads just that that grief that overwhelming grief of losing her child 
that's not a spoiler alert. I think it's yeah. No, if, if nobody's read it, it's on the back cover. It's like, it's part of the back cover <laughs> copy. So no. So no, yeah. Well. So I feel like I, I definitely feel like those are you know I I can I as as much as these are are feminist which I can see I can also feel this this kind of great empathy for them and this very humanist kind of condition with them. Um, and I feel like that's a great uh, transition or kind of a great line that you're walking as you, as you do this. I don't know if there's a question in there. (laughs) Well, no, it was a great statement regardless. So I I very much appreciate it. And actually I really do love to hear, um, when, uh, when men or, you know, non-binary or, um, people who don't necessarily identify themselves specifically strictly Mm -hmm. as women also connect with it because that's, you know, that's the kind of thing I write from this perspective in large part, because that's, that's the life that I live every, every day. I, mm. I live as a woman, I, you know, but, um, I don't, I also just don't ever want to be like exclusive with it. Like I don't, you know, like mm. when I write about motherhood, you know, that that's my experience of it. Um, I'm not in my husband's head. Um, I'm not in, you know, the, the heads of many of the fathers that I know, but also like, and, and sometimes readers have mentioned something that woke me up to like, you know, um, they'll say like, oh, I just, I felt this as a parent. And I'm like, actually, yeah, that's not just a mom thing. That's a universal mm. parental experience. And, and also people who aren't parents, like they, you know, they might be a caretaker. They might um, have, you know, a friend's kids or, or a dog. And look, anybody who wants to say like, oh, dogs aren't children, <laughs> cats aren't children, bite me. Yeah. Yes, they are. <laughs> and don't let anyone tell you different and don't let anyone talk down to you about it it's just you're, you're I, preaching to the yeah. choir here trevor and Good. i both each have our own yeah i Good. kate and i i i love telling this story because my dog is like my favorite thing right um <laughs> but i i i had a cat i was always a cat person and uh my cat developed diabetes and she was sick for a long time and and you know eventually died and it was super tragic um and then as caitlin and i were moving into this uh house that we now own um my cat had died right at the like just before we were moving from an apartment into a house and as we were coming home one day from the local um grocery store there was just a dude with a box of puppies out <laughs> in the in the back of his car and he was like uh hey you want a dog and uh i was like i don't i don't know that i do but yeah, I probably do. I should probably, you know, <laughs> I have this hole in my heart now that I got to fill some way. Aww. So, uh, yeah, I picked up this flea ridden, uh, puppy and took her home, named her Calliope, uh, because oh, I, I that. think that's the coolest name, <laughs> you know, named her after the, the muse of epic poetry, which can't go wrong. But, uh, yeah, she's like, she's, everything she has so much of a personality and uh and i mean she she understands conversation too which is crazy to think about you know we we don't think about animals really having the personalities they have and having the linguistic skills that they do actually have yeah. um yeah so i i i'm on on board with, <laughs> with claiming that you know i i do think that there's a, a level of parenthood there Maybe well, not. I, the I can't same remember too if you but... saw like at StokerCon that I brought Shadow, and because so many people met him. Yes, that's right. I'm remembering that now. Okay, yeah. Well, and if it, you know, I figured you guys were on that same team. It's more something that 
Um, <laughs> sometimes I'll see somebody say like, you know, well, once you have kids, animals just become animals. I'm like, I am sorry that you are so emotionally limited. That is so sad. <laughs> you know, um, I feel for you. I hope you find a way to fix that. It's unfair. And I, I mean, I'm also not trying to be critical. Like people feel how they feel, yeah. but I, I dislike the exclusionary tone of like, you know, well, until you have kids, you can't possibly understand this feeling. And it's BS. You know, we all have different relationships. We all have different um, connections with people, with animals, with all this sort of thing. And so, yeah, just just making that, you know, sort of more of a universal universal thing because, uh, yeah, just, I mean, when you, no. when you lose one of them, yeah. you know, I, I lost my last kitty, um, you know, middle of COVID and it was, mm. it was really hard. He was very old. It was really hard, but like, I mean, it, there are still times um, I will hear, and we don't have any cats anymore, but I will hear this, the thump from inside the kitchen and that little yep. murp sound that they make when they hit the floor and i'm like okay <laughs> you know <laughs> there is still a cat here in some form or fashion from time to time he stops in to jump off the counter and probably get some litter in my water glass you know for old time's sake so yeah i think it's it's great what you bring up about you know this idea of of universality um i think it was alison bechtel uh I heard an interview where she was kind of talking about her literature and how she felt it was kind of weird how, you know, the stories that she would write, for example, were all about like her lived experience. And yet we discover through this singularity, a kind of universality where experiences are not really that different from person to person. We can find a lot of, um, kind of identifiable feelings or emotions mm -hmm. and um as i was reading this collection especially you know there were times when even though i'm not a woman i would read a story about you know like a woman in a bar and she feels unsettled or uncomfortable with the people around her the guys who are you know just kind of aggressively advancing on her and it's like i've i've sat in that bar i've seen that exchange take place you know yeah. i've witnessed that moment um and i think as a man especially um uh, i'm not saying that i've ever like gone to predate on people but i've certainly done things like approached a certain author in the lobby of a hotel and been like we're going to be friends you know like i i can see how you know, sometimes that can be threatening. And uh, I just, I, I, I really love this literature because of that, you know, because of the ability to kind of reflect on um, the, the many ways that, you know, we do see this, we do experience this in our lives. And, um, and there's a relatability there that I think speaks to the heart of what I want fiction to do. On behalf of Slayhouse, I do want to apologize for that again. No. <laughs> You're not, no, no, I was so, I was so happy to meet both of you. Um, and I like the thing that I always like, I feel like I should wear this like disclaimer shirt whenever I'm in public. That's like, hello, you may not realize this, but I have horrific social anxiety. So when I get weird, it's not you, it's me, you know, sort of a thing. And also like, I still like, I, I, I started signing your book to Jeremy. Like while you guys are standing there and it's like, it's like, God, this looks like I did it on purpose to just be awful, but I'm just like that, like scattered. And then, you know, and I'm the kind of person that's like, well, that'll cycle through my head for the rest of my life now. 
I'll be thinking of it, you know, just from time to time. I'll be like, remember that time you did that, Hightower? Yes, I do. It, it, I it gave us a great story to tell. And uh, it we, is. Did a, we avoided a wrestling match for the book. <laughs> my argument was, now it's signed to me. I should have the book. It, it's but. his book now. <laughs> it's by, it's by, fa- the two, my two favorite stories are me just being like, I'm super awkward too. So seeing seeing Laurel Hightower in a lobby and I'm like, you're Laurel Hightower. We're going to be friends. Like that's by, and I did that to, to Jennifer McMahon too. We were in a, in an elevator and I was like, are you Jennifer McMahon? And she's like, I am. And I'm like, I love your books. And like, I just don't know how else to say it, but that, that, and then the, the story of you signing my book wrong are they're yeah. my favorite things. Like, <laughs> I love that copy. I will never let anyone take that copy of Crossroads <laughs> from me because I think it's just so genuinely wonderful. Scratch it out. <laughs> it's so perfect. So you don't even know. It, it goes in my, like my hierarchy of the signed books. Cause I, I have, <laughs> I have all kinds of signed books now, but my favorites are are yours. And then Jeremy signed uh, a couple of books for me. And one, he said like best wishes. And then the next one, he says mediocre wishes. And, <laughs> and I was just like, is the next one you signed just going to be like, I'll see you in hell. You yeah, know? They're going like, to progressively <laughs> get worse as I go. <laughs> Tepid condolences. I don't know. Okay. So like, this is this is a bit of a pattern with me, unfortunately, I, and and without trying to like, so please don't ever ask me to sign a card that's going to go to anyone that you care about. <laughs> I have this propensity for just screwing it up horribly. Like one time, and this was a guy that I worked with that I really liked. He was one of my friends, um, and his father passed away, so they're passing around this card that's like of condolences. And I for real wrote out like, I'm so happy to hear about your dad dying did not mean that at all <laughs> the wrong word got written and you know like half the office has already signed it but then i'm like oh my god like i can't just go buy a new card so i scratch it out and, but, like you can still tell like someone's like laurel did you did you? i'm like i'm so sorry of course he knew me so i was like oh my god my he was like no actually that made me really i'm you know and and so then I was like, I got to be better about this. And the like, and this was at the same office, but you know, then one of my friends is having a baby, and everyone's getting like this baby, uh, your baby shower card or whatever, and they just give it to me. It's this three part unfolded one, and I just sign my name in a in an opening spot, and I don't realize <laughs> that when it's folded, it's like mommy, and daddy, and then it's supposed to say a baby makes three, but it said in Laurel makes. <laughs> How could I have known unless I'd done something crazy like fold the card to see where I went? I may have to mute um, myself. So. Yeah, we, we might have to meet you, Trevor. You're, I mean, it, that's, that's great. It's now, oh, how are you working this into, into your fiction? Like, can oh, you? God. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to do that in there. I just, so I've actually, so I have a novel that's coming out through Flame Tree Press in October of this year. Oh, um, yeah. And I have a, a character in there. He's the male lead. And he's like, when I was first writing this stuff, I'm like, oh, you know, okay. So he's going to be this neighbor and he's 
you know, he's a little bit older than her and he's, you know, pretty confident, whatever. And then I was like, oh, no, he's not. He's a social mess. Like he's, you know, like he beats himself up for everything he says. And he always says things a little bit wrong and then he hates himself for years. And I'm like, cause this is the guy that I identify with, you know, <laughs> like not the cool, like, you know, oh, the, the female main character is doing all this stuff. It's like, oh, I'm not her. I'm this guy. I'm the awkward dude, you know, who's, who's just going to, you know, lash himself eternally for that one silly thing he said it's yeah so that's yeah in answer to your question that's how i'm working into my fiction <laughs> i'm that guy <laughs> i love that <clears throat> so uh, share with us a little bit more about this upcoming novel um because this, i i apologize this was not on my radar this is news to me um oh, yeah, yeah what is the so what's the title what's it about what can you tell us about it I can tell you most things about it. Yeah, it's not. Um, so I've actually, I have a little publisher's marketplace release for it and everything. And I, uh, Flame Tree, I think posted at the time and I just missed it. Uh, Cause I, I, I emailed Don Daria, the um, editor there recently was like, did this ever happen? And he was like, in August, here's your copy. You know, so, and he's, by the way, he's, he is like the nicest. He's wonderful to work with. I love Flame Tree. Um, but, you know, I, so I've been holding on to it though, because I'm like, well, right now my pinned tweet is for every woman knows this. And so like, I'm trying to like, be very like, I'm going to make sure mm -hmm. that I, do, you know, direct the appropriate marketing attention at this. And, you know, before I turn to this, because also I overthink everything until the end. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, so I, I haven't, you know, I've, I've talked about it a couple of times, but it's, uh, that's what I'll be gearing up for. But so this is, it's called Silent Key. Um and it's a little bit more in the vein of Whispers in the Dark. It's a it's a full length um, full length novel, um, and it's uh, it's got some ghosts. It's got some um, you know relationship stuff. It's got uh, some I'm trying to think what's uh, a lot of things that just deeply horrify me. That I was like, oh, this is really unsettling. Let's put it in a book and unsettle other people. <laughs> so that's kind of you know it's kind of where we're at with that. But it's but. Um, the fun thing about it for me is I, I have been writing this series for years. Like basically as soon as I finished Whispers in the Dark and sent that off, I started working on this and I didn't mm. intend for it to be a series, but I love my characters. So there's like three and a half story fully written in this series. Oh, um, wow. The other, the, the ones after Silent Key will need, you know, major editing, but, um, but I've just, I've been working with these characters for a long time and I really just, I love them. Um, and so it's one of these things that like, so it's, it's Cam and Morgan. I'm very excited for everyone to meet Cam and Morgan and also Demi because he's, um, he's her uh, adopted Russian brother. Who's like the biggest asshole. And, and I just, I love him. He ends up being a lot of people's favorite <laughs> character because he's such a dick. It's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm writing. That's awful. I just, I'm, I'm saying Demi's fantastic. As though he's this separate person that I'm just praising outside of myself. Anyway. Um, but it is one of those things where I, I love these characters so much and I do fully believe in like, you know, readers spaces and, and all this. So I am never mm. going to check the reviews for this book because <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be like getting them ready on launch day, like, you know, making sure their ties are tied and like, you've got your new outfit. I just, I want the other kids to love you. So go have a great day, you know, kind of thing. So <laughs> I told you like almost nothing except this big rambling diatribe about I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm like ride or die with you right now. So it, it's like, you know, I, I just, uh, I fell in love with Crossroads the, the, when I first read it. I was just 
floored um, by how effective I felt the horror was in that book. Um, but also just how connected I felt to Chris as a, a character. I, I just felt like you really understood how to create these very intimate character moments between, you know, your reader and this character that you've crafted. And as a result, the story just um, was incredible. I just loved it. And then I read below and I was like, I don't know how she manages to top what, what she did in Crossroads. And yet I absolutely adored below. I was like this, it was so disorienting and confusing which I think made the end just that much more impeccable. I was like, this yeah. is like chef's kiss. Amazing. Um, again, just delivering exactly what I wanted in, in fiction. So um, yeah, I'm just like, you can put anything out. I'm, I'm definitely going to read it. I'm ready for it. So below um, <clears throat> I'm glad Trevor brought that one up because he and I have been talking about just the different works that we're reading of yours. And um from that that kind of craft perspective, which is where I always kind of come from, you know, kind of given my background stuff, I I read below, absolutely loving it, but at, but noticing, okay, first I I'm fully aware of like the Mothman mythos, and it's not one of the more popular kind of cryptids. Um, yeah, I think where you're at probably in, in like Kentucky, you're probably closer geographically to that yeah. that story, but I am familiar with it. And so as I'm reading below, I'm picking up on the conventions of that mythology, but I notice at no time during the book, do you have any character? Well, it's all basically just this, this woman, um, but you don't have any kind of explanation of this is what this is. Here's how you identify it. Like we get with so many kind of monster supernatural stories. Like we know this yeah. is a vampire because it, you know, doesn't have a reflection and doesn't do this. We never get this to kind of bring it together that this is kind of the Mothman. It's almost like a a deep cut allusion to like uh, uh, some other kind of um, or just this other kind of mythology that, that you kind of almost have to be in the know about. And I was curious. I mean, I love the effect. I'm getting like when I talk to my editor about a book I'm working on now, one of the things they particularly mentioned was actually when are you going to kind of introduce the monster in the story. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And this is kind of my source for that. So kind of how can you walk me through the process of that that thought process of am I going to tell people this is the Mothman mythos or spoiler alert? Or and is it is it something I'm going to let them read into as I work this? And how am I going to make that decision? And can you Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um and I appreciate that you that you said that about it because it is you know, it's one of those things I, I, I do never really reference the, the lore at all. Um, and, you know, certainly some people have had some complaints with that. Cause like, wait a second. I thought I was getting like a Mothman, like <laughs> chomp and stomp. And I'm like, that's a fair complaint. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so with that, like part of what sparked that was I read John Keel's um, uh, nonfiction account of the whole thing, which I don't know if either one of you have picked that up. I need um, to, I've been wanting to. I've, it's interesting. It's I've interesting. seen the movie with Richard Gere, which I know is nothing like the book. But actually, I felt like it was pretty true to the source material from a storytelling standpoint. Gotcha. I, you know, you can't. Um, <laughs> it's not a documentary, so you can't put all of the stuff on there. But I thought they really captured a lot of, in particular, one of the things that's so striking to me about the whole Mothman um, incidents in, in Point Pleasant was the type of people who reported seeing 
things and the way that they were so like annoyed at themselves, you know, for like, Hey, I am this stolid farmer. I don't believe in any of this stuff, but man, this thing made my eyes burn last night. There, there's a big, you know, I don't know what to do. I feel like we should at least talk about it. Something's going to eat the cows, you know? So it's just, it's, it was very interesting to me, but when you read his firsthand account of it, um, it's not really particularly well-defined either. And the Mothman, you know, Andrew Cole, the, that sort of central figure is only part of it. And it's really unclear how it all connects together. You know, there's a whole lot of, um, there's a whole lot of, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my, my dog just walked in. Oh. You want to say hi to Laurel? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't, I didn't mean for her to, to cut you off. Oh my gosh. No, I will always, I'm always happy to to stop for a dog at any given time. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> he's well, and you know, just so you know, there's always a chance that a small child will come wandering in half dressed. So <laughs> that's always a chaos, you know, um, but uh, yeah, they, it's, it's, it's interesting because it doesn't really answer the question. And I thought that was really cool because uh, so often, like in, in real life, we, we don't get answers, you know, weird shit happens and then it stops and, and there's no clear delineation. Like, instead of like, oh good, this, this is over. Cause now we killed the monster and I'm holding its head. It's more just like, well, that that really scary, awful thing stopped, but is it going to start back up? Because there was no, you know, conclusion here. Um, and so to me, that was sort of the more interesting element of it. And just the the ambiguity of the legend is part of what draws me to it. Um, so, yeah. And, and also, like, I don't know about you, but I've noticed, like, especially in horror movies, as soon as the critter is revealed a lot of times that just dives like a huge percentage of the tension because like it has to be a really really creepy badass critter to supersede the fear of the unknown yeah you know and and the the sounds and the dark and the shadows that are being cast so i kind of liked the idea of never letting up on that tension yeah well that, that kind of lends itself to that whole belief and it's it's kind of a western european judo judeo-christian belief of you know you've got to name your demon right like the minute you can give it a name you take its power away from it and you never give this thing its name and and below and so it never kind of loses its power it's like a you close the book and you're like what the what the actual (laughs) same thing with crossroads i mean we i think we get a hint at what it could have been like early on but there's yeah. no real clarification that that's exactly what she's dealing with, or even if it's just maybe all in her mind. And you get this wonderful, I love this like kind of Twilight Zone ending to Crossroads. That's that's like the old good Rod Serling kind of Twilight Zones where it's like <laughs> it ends and you're like, man, that sucks. But that's exactly the ending it needed. And I love it for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's another one that from time to time, like people will just be like, what the what you know and which I totally identify with because for the longest time like I actually really hated reading short stories because of particularly in horror the ambiguity of them 
I was like, I don't understand. I need to know exactly what happened. I need a, an affidavit from someone. I'm going to need to know the timeline and please explain it to me in great detail. That drove me nuts. I'm, I'm incurably literal. Um, and I still will do it sometimes. Like, I'll just be like, you did what now? And someone's like, Laurel, that's a, that's a very well accepted, like euphemism. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. well, and and it's you know so it's it's just still kind of like one of those things so again i totally get when people are frustrated with it but yes i did not know how it was going to end as i was writing it um but i had an idea of you know a couple ways it might go but i was like i have i really just have to see where this goes because i don't want to show it in the wrong way um and to me when i got done with it i was like yeah that's gonna annoy some people understandably but this is what feels right to me yeah. in it so you know, to your point too, um, I I read everything symbolically. It's kind of um maybe it's because of, of the training that I received in in you know a lot of my professional life, but I can't help but read everything symbolically. And so when I read, you know, crossroads and below, I kind of am thankful that there's not as much emphasis on the thing because I think the thing takes away from the symbolic presence of, you know, the, the meaning of the story. And so by, you know, kind of cutting out like all of this mythos of the Mothman, we're left with, I think, the central question that the ending presents to us. And it kind of acts as a, a coding for the story to be like, you know, why are you so preoccupied with the, you know what this mothman was that's not the point that's not the experience um and as a reader i especially am am just super appreciative of the way that these stories are structured to evoke those questions and i think that's what i love so much about this um collection of stories too there's just a a kind of singularity of focus where we're able to really hone in, I think, on the central problems or questions presented to these characters. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, because like I said, I, I, I do not think symbolically. And so I know that there have been times <laughs> that I've like, you know, in earlier drafts of a story, someone will be like, yeah, that's, um, that's ridiculously on the notes. You're going to need to walk it back a little bit. I'm like, But I just wanted to make really sure this plot hole was filled to within an inch of its life, you know. Um, so, so I appreciate that that you know that that did kind of come through, and it was something that I learned to do like over time too, like just by observation. It's also um, that's how I human is. I I like I had to like observe people. Like if y'all had met me as like a pre, oh, God no, I was like could not read a room, did not understand how people interacted. I felt like this alien going like, I don't know why that word combination causes this odd laughter phenomenon how is this you know how's this happening so it's one of those things that again like the more I was reading and Paul Tremblay I feel like was my like gateway into that ambiguity because I read a head full mm. of ghosts and it is ambiguous but I'm like but I don't hate him how interesting this is elicited <laughs> a totally different response you know um and so I sort of started to see the power of that and feel like that it, sometimes an ambiguous ending is totally a cop-out it absolutely is. I think we've all oh, read sure. those stories where you're like, you didn't know how to end this, did you? Okay, well, I feel for you. Um, but, uh, you know, when it's intentional, um, I feel like there can be a lot of power. And it's not right for every story. 
Yeah. Um, but, but when it is right, it's like, okay, no, this is, this is the way to take this because this is the way that it leaves it open for this particular type of interpretation. And I'll, I'll take a second to do a quick shout out, uh, to Max Booth. Um, mm. I recently finished his collection. It's also coming out in March, Abnormal Statistics. And the, I think it's the second story in that collection, all of which, by the way, are incredible, but like it hurt feelings I didn't even know I had. Um, it's just it's it's so it's so good but oh my god like there's you know it's it yeah um but (laughs) i think it's the i think it's the second story it's one that has like a sort of a zombie backdrop to it and it takes on an element i don't want to spoil anything but it takes on an element of it that is immediately painful but you're like oh my god why doesn't this ever get addressed in the typical zombie lore in in you know when, Mm. when you see this and like you're just like gnawing your nails the whole time you're like there's no way this is going to end well um and the ambiguity with which it it was just like perfection like i just wanted to like drop the book go drive to texas go give max a hug you know pet frank and conan (laughs) and then just drive back and be like that did you know that's just amazing um so yeah it's it's watching that ambiguity in action that that's effective and known you know when somebody really knows what they're doing with it which max absolutely does um, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah. I, I like that you bring up, um, Paul Tremblay because, uh, you know, he's got the, the knock at the cabin is out right mm-hmm. now in theaters and, and seeing the reactions to, uh, you know, the, the, those that really love his book, which is very ambiguous in its ending, mm-hmm. uh, and then going to see this, this film, which is not ambiguous. It has no real interest in that. Uh, and seeing that reaction, you know, I, I, I feel like um, just seeing that the different groups of reactions is really, really interesting. Um, and I, I don't know what that says about readers and, and moviegoers, you know, are moviegoers, do they like ambiguity? Do they not? I'm not sure. Maybe it's just a, a from a person to person kind of perspective, um, whether or not that works. Which is interesting to me because I felt like M. Night Shyamalan's movies are mostly like ambiguous so I thought that would have that would have been like the perfect foray into him being ambiguous but I don't know I guess not or maybe they're not ambiguous I I feel the opposite yeah I was kind of wondering like as you were saying it I'm trying to because I was like well this is clearly you know Shyamalan's uh, influence on it and I'm like well he's big on the twist yeah but I feel Mm -hmm. like we very much get things filled in after the fact once the twist is yeah, revealed. Right. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. I will say though, whatever the glass man was, unbreakable. Mm-hmm. That was uh <laughs> I don't know if it was ambiguous so much as like he spent the entire movie in the buildup and then when things actually got interesting, we just got an epilogue. I don't know. Uh that mm, was yeah, not one of my favorite ones, but um <laughs> but yeah, I it's interesting though because I it feels like I have this feeling though that probably movie going audiences do not love that level of ambiguity that's that's left at um uh cabin at the end of the world um which is also like probably the tensest thing I have ever read in my life like from page one yeah he sets up the danger and ups the stakes and I'm like oh my god so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I couldn't put it down. Um I picked it up uh in in the win you know, just just last year, uh toward the beginning of winter, because uh, I was like, I, I wanna see this movie, um, but I'm not gonna go in to the movie without having read the book first. 
And yeah. uh, it, it's riveting. It really just does grip into you and then just not let you go until you're done. Um, and I, I, I just absolutely love the book. And I felt like uh, I was a little disappointed with the film just because I know that, you know, some creative choices were made there that I didn't feel was in keeping with the spirit of the book so much. Which amazes so me, Trevor, because we've never not liked an M. Night Shyamalan film, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, like our first, that's our first episode. We're knocking like old. Of it. <laughs> Just tearing into old, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so, if, but that, that kind of begs the question, because this is interesting to me. You all do some, do you all do some audio drama productions as well? We, we do, yeah. Okay. Yes. So when you do that, do you all do, have you all handled the adaptations yourselves? Like, yes. do you, do you, okay. So this is interesting to me too. And this is something that sort of widened my view of looking at storytelling choices in this fashion too. Um, because so I, I just wrote an audio drama for the first time, um, I got approached by a podcast to do so. And I was like, I've never done so. You might have the wrong person. And they were like, well, you know, we'll give you some examples to see how you do. And it's such an interesting thing to change the way the story is told out of the narrative prose fashion. Mm. And you have to like, there are certain things that you just can't have happen because there's no way to effectively convey them simply through, um, you know, verbal and, and, and audio sound effects. Mm. And so it's something that I notice too, when I'm looking at, okay, this is an adaptation of, of a, you know, of a book, we can see why this whole section would not be able to be included. Um, and it's such an interesting way to kind of look at it and see the choices that people make with it, um, which, you know, sometimes I agree with and sometimes I don't, but it's, it's just such a different way of telling a story. Um, yeah. As you're, Jeremy, as you're kind of growing and stuff, do you, as a, as a writer, do you, do you feel like you're ever anticipating that? I mean, I know like, like a lot of beginning writers, if you ever talk to them, they're like, well, I try and imagine what my book would look like on screen. And, and it's like, well, you're getting a little ahead of yourself. Like I hear that from my creative writing students and I'm like, well, let's, let's take it back a notch. Let's just focus on this draft here. You've got here in the workshop. But I mean, is that something as you're, you know, do you ever think about like how my stuff could be adapted and what, you know, kind of what elements you could, you could look for? Yeah, that's a fairly recent thing because so I, I do actually have a media agent, um, Ryan Lewis of Spin a Black Yarn, who is absolutely magnificent. Um, and Crossroads got pretty far down some, you know, some paths of production, um, which was very exciting, but nothing ever really came of it, um, which, you know, it could still happen, but it it just kind of is what it is. And one of the things you know, one of the issues we ran into was like, well, nobody seems as though the studios don't really want to pay for development right now. So mm -hmm. you're maybe a little bit better off if you can bring them an already adapted script. And so when we talked about below, I was like, you know, when we, when Crossroads was the first thing Ryan read of mine, and that's why he decided to take me on. And so when we talked about it, you know, and, and he was like, are you okay with people making certain changes? I was like, yeah. So like, I don't have time to learn how to do screenwriting. I don't have time <laughs> to do any of these things you know, just don't make any of the characters like Nazis and we're good to go. You know, that's all, that's all I can do, do what you need to do. Um, and so with below though, I, so I was like, well, you know, I have, I have learned to do many things that I thought that I could not or had no interest in doing. And so I might as well, you know, give this a shot. And so we had a, a Ryan and I had a long conversation where he kind of introduced me to the idea of what elements of below would work 
um, would translate to the screen of what would need to be changed uh, so that the story could be told. Because again, you know, you don't just want like a narrator reading the whole time, you know, mm. of, of what's going on. So that's just been an interesting sort of thought process. And I do feel like the longer that I write, the more confidence I get in my ability to, it's not that I feel like, and it certainly it's not the truth that I can just write anything I want, you know, like, oh, I can certainly meet that, you know, whatever, exactly what you want and I can do it perfectly. But I recognize the confidence in my ability to learn. Um, and so I feel less intimidated by projects like that. Um, and so I'm actually, you know, I've got this like huge queue of things I really need to be getting done, but, but it's, you know, it's very much on my list. It's very interesting. And, and it was cool to write the audio drama because while obviously that's going to still be yet another different type of, uh, of script of, of, of way of writing, it really got me thinking, um, of how, of how to convey those things. And, it, and it's a very interesting process. Yeah. When Jeremy and I were first talking about doing some of these audio adaptations, um, we had a conversation about, you know, what, uh, what do we change? What do we not change? I, I think it was when you were drafting, Jeremy, um, it, you were kind of doing some work on the Edith Nesbitt story. Um, we were having a conversation about, you know, some of like the ending and, you know, do we change this? Do we not change this? And it, it, there's a lot of decision-making that kind of has to go into um you know, that, that particular kind of craft, because some stuff doesn't, you know, play out in uh, an adaptation like we had wanted. I personally fall on the side of, you know, kind of trying to figure out how to stay symbolically true to yeah. the text, um, which is really hard and, and sometimes really tricky to do. But it's really important that we don't completely change the message of a text. Um you know, we, we don't uh, like completely change the effect or the conversation it's trying to have um, just because it's difficult to figure out how to do that, you know? Well, and, and to both your points, I think um, like with, with Casey Griffin's U train that we adopted and is now, you know, it's on our, it's on our podcast. Uh, and then T and Morgan, we basically read straight out of the book we because we had that trevor and i had that conversation too like can we change this to even be an adaption of you know and it's like no we'll just apply characters and read it straight out of the book and i think we ran into some some stylistic issues and some technical issues doing that that when we got to the edith nesbitt story and then we recorded another one just recently it was like no we really want to change this because to your point laurel it's like we can't just have that narrator on all the time just telling mm -hmm. us the story we need to kind of dramatize this with characters kind of acting out the parts and and conveying this and so that's been another part of the interesting kind of conversation as we as we continue to adapt this you know how do we change this so that this element is still conveyed but it's not just somebody speaking at you the whole time right yeah yeah and it is it's um and so the the uh, podcast that I did the adaptation for is uh, Shadows at the Door. Um, Mark Nixon is who I was working with. And it was just great because he just like, he was really, you know, very like accessible for like, hey, just whatever questions you have, just I'll answer immediately. He did. So I was able to, you know, really roll, th roll through things. And what he, you know, he sent me a couple sample scripts and then he said, so ideally you would not have a narrator. He said, so you would want, you know, to have things conveyed. And like, I had already 
like started the story in my head. I knew what I was going to write. And, but I immediately was like, okay, so I can't do it in prose. So let me, how do I convey this? And because he told that to me at the beginning of what I was doing, I was able to just be like, okay, you know, and I didn't run, I feel a lot of, in a lot of ways that it, it will probably be harder to adapt something that's already written in prose format than it, Mm -hmm. than it was to write something that had never been a short story first that I was able to just, you know, attack from that angle. Um, But, you know, uh, like Ryan mentioned certain things about like, so in large part with Addie, a lot of what goes on is like her internal monologue. So how Mm -hmm. do you convey that? You know, um, and I think it's like when people complain about Stephen King adaptations, sometimes I'm like, yeah, no, because you can't <laughs> convey all of these things that he does within the, the prose narrative. It doesn't translate to the screen. Um, but so I had a conversation with somebody who was at, at one point was, you know, hoping to direct um, Crossroads. And she was wonderful. And we had this, you know, like, uh, again, when I spoke with Josh and uh, Josh Mailerman and, and Ryan Lewis initially, and, and they were kind of like, Josh was like, look, the way I look at it is they're two totally different products. You know, you've got your book and you've got this. He's like, and that mm-hmm. helps me feel like just, you know, feel like I'm not like annoyed about what doesn't make it in or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. And speaking with, with this director, like she wanted to have a call with me to see what were the elements that I felt like were important to keep in it, you know, uh, to what you were saying, Trevor, as far as like staying symbolically true to Mm -hmm. it, like, you know, what, what are the parts that come across? And um, so it was kind of fun having that conversation too, to be like, well, I'm not going to be precious about this, that, or the other that belongs to this story. But what I, you know, what's important to me is this type of relationship, like between Dan and Chris, that he is this type of dude that it does not become you know, because um, he's, he's not the, he's not the main character. It's not his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of times and, and every so often I'll, you know, I'll see a complaint about like, wow, he's, you know, it's never about the men. I'm like, I know it's not you know? <laughs> in these stories. It just happens to be like, they're, you know, they're a side character. So um, that, you know, I, it was important to me though, that, that the, the nature of their relationship and the way that he, felt and about and treated her and respected her was con- was conveyed because I felt like that was an important part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think um, we were talking to, to Brian McCauley about, you know, some of the, um, the writing that he's done and, and the way that, you know, there's just so much that happens when you try to transform something from one medium to another and sometimes you can even be working for that medium and choices are made that just kind of take things out away from you, you know, out of your hands. Um, you know, when you write a certain character, an actor could come in and just present that character in a different way that than maybe yeah. you intended. So, you know, there's all of these different layers of change that, you know, kind of take away some of your authorial agency over the story. Um it's a, it's just an interesting problem to try to to tackle. I hope we do get some adaptations of your work, though. I I feel like that would be really fun to see. You know how that that would transform, or or um, you know how it, it would kind of emerge, whether or not um, you know the themes kind of stand out stronger, or or what happens with it. I feel like that would be a really interesting experiment. It. Yes. And in particular, like, so the, as far as we 
got with Crossroads, um, they did, they put together a pitch deck for it. And they, you know, sent it to me for, I mean, you know, to, to just get my opinion on it and see. And I was just, there was, there was a lot more that had been added to it. Um, you know, because it's a short, it's, it's a very short right. story. Um, and I just loved it. It was just, I mean, and, and like the, you know, the ways that she took it, the places she took it and the, the representation she made, you know, on this pitch deck. And I just like mm. have this, like, and now I'm never going to see it because <laughs> you don't just want to, because it's just, I want it, you know, it's this totally different <laughs> thing. It's like, it's my story, but, but imagine with someone else's, and that's just incredible, you know, like, it's such a cool mm. thing. Like. May, you know maybe it's ego or something but it's like i just love seeing my you know my story it's like oh what did you do with my story this is great i love it you know um i make it a point really actually once a book is in print i never read it again uh and that really really yeah um it's because i am terrified that i'm going to come across a typo <laughs> and, and i'm like no it's too late um uh. So yeah, I, I never do, but with, um, with silent key, I have, you know, in lead up to what I'm sure will be extensive edits that will get dropped on me at some point. Um, I, I just moved it to my Kindle cause I recently learned how to convert files. I'm so proud. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I moved it to my Kindle and I'm reading it like a book, like instead of just on my screen, like in word format. And I find that actually it's becoming a little bit of a comfort read for me. Like not, you know, obviously I know what's going to happen. Um, but I'm really, you know, I'm just enjoying being immersed in that world. And so like to get to see it on screen, to see someone else's interpretation Mm. of that, I just think it would be magic. It would just be absolute magic. So I, I, I also very much hope that at some point that happens. Um, and obviously pitch decks are just pitch decks, but like some of the, some of the actors that she had like, you know, sort of suggestively put for, and I was like, oh my mm-hmm. God, yes, please. I want to be in a red carpet <laughs> with that man. I mean, I think he's a wonderful performer who will take Dan to the next level. But he's hot. <laughs> How close was it with your own vision of like who would play these characters? If You know, um, I didn't actually have a whole lot of, uh, of ideas for that with, with crossroads um i knew kind of you know i i i think i mentioned that dan had like a tom Selleck type mustache i think that was you know about the extent of it like was he and you know i could see chris in my head but i hadn't really cast her um it's more just that i could definitely see both of them in my head now that's not true with every character that i write um rose from whispers in the dark i think anna torv would be like the perfect rose and i would just love to see her you know play that role um and uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple others that I feel like are kind of lined up in that fashion, but you know, kind of another fun thing that I wasn't actually doing intentionally, but, but what this director brought up at the time was she was like, you know, part of what I think might make this appealing is that it has a role for a somewhat older actress. It's not written for mm. a 25 year old or a 30 year old written for a woman in her fifties, um, which you've got a lot of uh, big name actresses who it's not like they're aging out of the profession, but like, Hey, this is mm-hmm. written for you. You know, yeah. this is written for you to be at this stage in your life. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's, what's interesting too, in particular, like I, and I love romance. I love it. Um, 
And that's part of what's fun for me about writing the longer novels is I get to kind of explore relationships better. Mm. But to me, I love exploring long-term relationships. I love seeing what happens after the meet cute. Um, because, uh, you know, J- James Sabata, who I think you both know, like he's, he, mm-hmm. he will say like, anybody can fall in love. Right. But right. it's, it's what you do to maintain that and how that romance looks as your life changes, as you go through things like maybe you have kids or, you know, maybe you have to caretake someone's parent or, mm-hmm. you know, somebody loses a job or just, you know, as you age, as you become new people all the time, like, how does that romance work? How does that still look? Um, that's always such an interesting thing to me. Well, and I, I think that's what really sells the the humanness of the characters. You know, I I don't know. I, I think um, I, I don't read a lot of romance, but from what I have read, you know, one of the dissatisfactions I do have is to your point, there's a lot of falling in love and not a whole lot of staying in love. You know, I feel like, that's an, an, an avenue of, of story that we don't explore enough. Um, you know, speaking as someone who is married, I've been married for, um, oh, she's going to kill me if I don't get this right. I, I think we've been married for eight years. We've been together for, for about, uh, I think it'll be 12 this, this December. Um, it, it takes a lot of work, you know, mm-hmm. to make, a a relationship lasts that long it takes a lot of effort to you know stay in love with someone and make that love your pursuit um but and again, i don't think we that been, we see enough of that haven't we been inundated with that too i mean like the the whole happily ever after kind of storyline i mean it's it is about time that we do more of these like okay yeah. is it really a happily ever after what does the ever after look like you know or what and is know the happily ever after there. Yeah, what is the happily ever after take? Yeah. You know, because it is about maintaining that. It is about, you know, putting in the the effort to to keep things together. I feel like we we only ever see the fall in love or we see the messy divorce, you know, and yeah. it's like but what about the um the enduring love, you know, the the kind that is not necessarily effortless, but it's mindful. Um yeah. Uh, you know, I would love to see that a lot more in in fiction, whether it be romance or, or otherwise, you know, I'd love to see yeah. that in horror. I'd love to see more of this, you know, um, kind of enduring love. Well, well, if, you know, in... hopefully if these sequels get picked up, because yeah. you know, that's, that's my that's my intention on it is like, to, you know, a lot of times in series, you'll notice like they will do a will they or won't they because they feel mm. like once that does come together then the impetus for the series the the draw to it is gone the magic is gone Mm -hmm. and to me i'd rather have it happen initially and then okay let's see because and i'm not saying that like you know people make all of their decisions and have all of their expectations based on media but i do think in the same way that it's cool to like read something and see yourself and be like yes Mm. i'm not the only one that feels that to have someone say like oh okay, the fact that it's not perfect all the time doesn't mean I have Mm. to now walk away from this because um, I've been married, I think it's 14 years. I think, I think this will be our 15th anniversary. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. great. We both constantly forget our wedding anniversary. We don't remember (laughs) it at all. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, which is whatever. It was a day we were there. (laughs) Happened to be what worked. I was in school. It was, you know, there was a lot going on. Um, So yeah, there's no, like, I think there, I think on our first wedding anniversary, like, David was going like, 
he's like, yeah, and there's this uh, concert I want to go to, and it's on, it's on July 20th. I was like, okay. He's like, but it's, is that okay? I was like, what is that, like a Tuesday? I mean, you're going to be up late, whatever, that's your problem. He's like, but it's our anniversary. I was like, oh, uh, yeah, no, no, you're good. You know, because it's just like, yeah, clearly I didn't remember. This is not going to be some big, like, no, you're going to a concert on our anniversary. You know, it's, you know, but, it, but it's, um, it, it's, you know, being together that long. So we've been together, that's like 2005. So what is that? Almost, almost. 18 years yeah 18 years uh, yeah I'm right behind yeah. It, so, yeah 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 and it and it's one of those things it's like um you can very much get in a rut of getting this is going to sound like I'm like directing to my husband I'm not but it's something that I observe with long-term relationships you can get in the habit where everything that person does annoys you and it builds mm. and then it mm-hmm. then you then you feel separate from that person and you're like uh you know this is on the downhill slide you know like kind of thing whereas <laughs> It's more like if you turn towards each other, it's these, it's these purposeful course corrections, you know, and, and that's why it's like, and I don't think monogamy is for everyone. And if it's not, Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't think people should feel forced to be part of that, but I do give some side eye to the people who are like, no, you know, monogamy is not right for the human race. And here's why. (laughs) It's because I get bored after six months of boning the same person. It's like, okay, well, don't get married, please. (laughs) but you know to to act as though that's a universal human experience is disingenuous um and certainly at the very least speaks to a lack of of thought and of experience you know and 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 it's it's something that no one can really convey to you before you get married you know you you might hear the term marriage is work and then you get the Mm -hmm. you know the really baseline advice like don't ever go to bed mad like okay super right That'll solve all my problems that, you know, that does anything. So in a way, I feel like seeing these representations, like, obviously this is not like, a, you know, a, at all a realistic, but like Gomez and Morticia, you know, like that's <laughs> like the, it's the long-term they've, they're, they've been married this long. They have, they've had kids, you know, they've seen each other at like their most disgusting and worst and awful. Right. And they're still just so much in love with each other. Um, and it's also uh, Poltergeist is is my hands down favorite horror movie, um, and in large part it has to do with the familial element of it. It's not just a, a first time romance; it is a long time. These folks have been together for years. They have three kids. Mm. They had a they got pregnant obviously really young, um, so they've gone through all of those stages with one another, and they. They lay in bed and roll joints and laugh and, you know, (laughs) like poke fun at their own bodies, like, you know, and, 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 but the, God, the moment, oh, it's like the most beautiful moment in cinema when she's like got the rope around her and she says, don't let go. And he says, never. Oh, it's just, you know, like that is, that's what I love to explore. That's what I love to see. Sorry, that was a huge diatribe. I'm not even drinking and I go off on these. No, I, I, I believe in it. I'm here for it. And I, I, you know, to your point, I feel like, um, you know, maybe it's, it's not necessarily that, uh, we get all of our ideas from, from fiction or we get all of our ideas from media, but I do think that they, they can serve as models, you know, and the models that were served up by the the media we consume do speak to us. You know, it's one of the reasons why I pursue literature so um, so much. It's one of the reasons why, you know, I read a collection by Laurel Hightower because I know it's going to speak to you know something. It's going to serve as that model. It's going to serve as that um, 
conversation starter, you know, to bring my attention to something, to to get me thinking of not just about, you know, what this literature is saying to me, but, you know, thinking about um, actions that I take in the future or things that I watch out for the, you know, in the future, the, the actions that I do, the decisions I make, you know, I think there's a power in presenting these models sometimes presenting bad models you know models of bad behavior to say don't do this thing you know but also do do this thing um and i think it's important that we flesh out more of our human experience through these this fiction you know to present uh to our audiences um you know it's just a, a, a broader array of experience because um, there's so much to being a human being and so much to having a life and so much I feel we're not brave enough to explore for, for one reason or another. Yeah. yeah. And, and sometimes we just don't even know that there's something there to explore. We don't know what we don't know. Um, and that's why, you know, like uh, representation when, you know, when you got that hashtag or that it's like representation matters. Yes, mm. it does. God, it matters so much. And when you see, but again, that's not something that I knew to look at um, until I read, uh, I read um, Invisible Chains by Michelle Lane. Mm. And she has this line in there. Uh, I don't know if y'all have read it, but it's, it's a, it's this great, like paranormal, like um, horror book that's set in, in times of slavery. And her main character is a slave and she's playing with her half sister. Who's, you know, they're both the daughters of the, of the white slave mat, uh, uh, plantation owner, you know, the one sister's legitimate and white and the other one is not. And they're playing and, and the white sister's like, well, I'm going to be the princess. You're going to be the whatever. And she's like, well, why can't I ever be the princess? And the white sister says, well, there are no black princesses. And so she's like, oh, well, I guess you're right. And like, that was like a knife to my heart. Like, oh my God, you know, you don't know. And to me, like, I, I just, it was huge for me to read that because I, I've been saying this lately and, and maybe it sounds trite, but I just find it more and more true. And we know each other best through our stories. And I think mm. horror in particular is a fantastic venue for that because that's how I know, you know, that I, based on what scares someone else from their experiences, you know, like mm. to me, if I go to a bathroom for the most part, that's not a traumatic experience for a trans person. It is. Mm. You can't ever just go to the bathroom. There's a question of which one and what's mm. going to happen to me when I walk in there. Yeah. And that was so eye-opening for me. And, uh, you know, women of color, black women, the way that they're treated mm. in like maternity wards um, and in hospitals and this ludicrous belief that they don't experience pain. What the mm. hell? Who came up with that? And why is that still so pervasive? Um, and, you know, it's these sorts of things that really it's, you know, to the point of, of people being able to look and, and see themselves represented in media, but it's also for folks who don't know that story. You know, like when, when I put out the story that though your heart is breaking, there were some men that I knew that, that are great guys. They're not, you know, and, and like, they would message me and say, I do that where I say, you know, why don't you smile or smile? It's not that bad. Mm. And I did not mean anything by it, but I didn't know how it was being taken and I won't do it again. And I love that because it's not, I'm not meaning it to be an admonitory, like that's it. You did this thing that makes you a terrible person. You're awful. You you're bad. You should feel bad. 
you know, or, or you should even mm-hmm. feel bad because you've done those things because the number of times I've course corrected, like when I think back on some of the unintentional microaggressions I've committed in my life, I'm like, mm. you know, like this, but it does me no, it does no one any good for me to wander around apologizing to representatives of whatever marginalized group. I'm like, I'm really sorry mm. about the time in eighth grade when I said this, <laughs> you know, what, what I, what I can do is learn to listen more and see, mm. and this is okay. So I'm, I, y'all can stop me if you want to, but, and this is not, I'm not going to go anywhere like, like weirdly political or controversial, but from a social (laughs) media standpoint, this is something I've been noticing and really, really pondering Uh, Mm -hmm. because we see now, sometimes there are people who are just so lost in cruelty and unkindness and that Mm. there's just not much to be done with them other than to, to limit people's exposure to them and protect uh, the members of our community who are put in danger by someone like that being in a position of power. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times um, someone will make a, a mistake, a faux pas. Maybe it's even a bad one. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. it's even a bad faith one. And um, there becomes this idea that they are now untouchable, that that anybody who supports them is an awful person or, you know, mm-hmm. is is not supporting whatever group might have been harmed or, or just, you know, even even not setting aside that it's like, well, this guy was such a jerk or this girl said this one yeah. thing. And I, in no way, it's, it's hard for me to say, because I don't want to be like, that's it. Let's all be friends. Let's forget each other. Well, that's not my place <laughs> to say, you know, if I'm, especially if not, if I'm not the person who's been harmed by it. However, mm. I ponder and I look a lot because sometimes I'll see these things blow up in real time. And I know everyone mm. who's involved and I look at what they're saying. And I'm like, I know this person know well enough to know that this is what they meant by that. But I know this other person well enough to know that this is exactly why they took it this way. And I know this third party well enough to know that they're never going to back down because that's just who they are. And these are all flawed, normal, good people, you know, who are now at loggerheads that, that it just never seems like it's going to be, and it carries through then there seem to be these camps and it's, well, if you like this person, you can't be chill with me or why are you still Mm. following this person? And again, those are valid feelings because when someone hurts Mm -hmm. you badly and you see people that you respect or you thought liked you interacting cheerfully with that person, it hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, because you're like, was it not enough that they did this to me? How can you still interact with them? But taking a step back from that and looking at our own actions uh, and saying like, okay, man, you know, I did commit some microaggressions. Um, and, mm. you know, probably more recently than I would like to believe uh, things that I've said that were harmful because I didn't know. Um, I'd like to think that I'm not intentionally harmful, but I can't even speak to that necessarily. Um, so I am grateful to the people who might have pointed that out to me, uh, even though it's mm. painful at the time. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I'm still here and I haven't, you know, slunk into a corner of shame, you know, to, mm. to, to never grow from that. And I so mm. wish, like, I've got that obnoxious mentality where I feel like I personally need to like walk in and resolve things. I go, whoa, whoa, okay, everybody, hold hands. <laughs> I want to sing Kumbaya. Everyone's going to have some chocolate. We're going to talk this out. But the, in some ways, I feel like I want to, because I want to be like, okay, did you maybe mean this? And, you know, I don't know. I, I, again, it's this big, it's, this is, these are just like my, my thought processes on it and ways that I, I wish I totally, know, that we could connect better. Yeah, I totally get it. I mean, there, there is a, a, I'm a, 
I'm a straight white male, right? So um, I I just know that I'm gonna get it wrong sometimes, you know, and um, it's tough. It's it's tough to to know simultaneously, like I'm gonna get it wrong, um, but also feel like you know there's still a level of accountability that that needs to happen there, you know, when I do get it wrong. Um, what's the balance between the grace that I ask for and the grace that I'm willing to extend to people, you know, yes. where, where yes. is the boundary between when there's, you know, cause I think there is such a thing as too much grace, you know, when you allow someone to just get away with things over and over and over and you reinforce that, that aberrant behavior as, and you normalize it that way, you know, I feel like, um, it's it's difficult to find the right line you know to find the space when i'm like i'm willing to extend that grace to you but also to set clear limits as to what i can or cannot accept from bad behavior and and to extend that same expectation to others about my behavior you know um Mm -hmm. because i do know that that you know i've absolutely gotten it wrong in the past, you know, I've absolutely said some things or said a thing to a person. And I think back on it and I think, wow, that was just, I, the, that was the worst thing I could have said. And I don't know why I said it. Like it, it was not, I'm not intending to insult this person. Holy shit. Did I just do it wrong though? <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's just a, to your point, you know um, it's, it's difficult to try to figure out where, we're supposed to be and um and ultimately you know the, the words that we share with one another the things we put out in the world I, you know they do have an effect and uh and thinking through you know what effect might this have i think is is really important whether you're an author or otherwise you know um just Absolutely. just kind of thinking through who we are as people well, thank you for sharing that wisdom with us, Laurel. Um, <laughs> no, I, for, I, thanks for letting me get on my soapbox. I, I love no, it. I, feel I like love that the soapbox. To be said too, though. I mean, I feel like I feel like there's always a good platform for that. You know, just kind of a reminder that you know we not we're not who we are on social media. We're we're there's that idea of anonymity, like social media brings us, like, but it also is this kind of demon that we have to put up with too. It's like, you know, we're not, you know, we're, we're more than just the few words that you see in a tweet, you know, we're very, we're complicated and people just take time to remember that, you know, I I perpetually live with foot and mouth disease and I'm I'm one of the most (laughs) well-meaning kind-hearted Trevor will attest. I'm, I am, aren't I? I'm, I'm, I feel like I am at least, I mean, I'm one of the the nicest in the world, but you're, you're a solid guy for sure. Do I? I said, you're a solid guy for sure. I mean, at the very least, you're not charging up to people in hotel lobbies and demanding <laughs> friendship. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just bringing well, my dog as as like a who <laughs> love me. The... Look, I have a dog, <laughs> which is a good indicator too. It's like okay, the dog yeah. seems to be cool with this dude. Yeah, it's a good. That's a good threshold. So, um, Laurel, as we wrap up, where can people find you and find information about your upcoming projects? Um, I'm on Twitter to a, a detrimental degree. So honestly, <laughs> if you see me on there, say hi and then be like, please 
get off Twitter. He has things to do by Tower. Um, so that's, you know, that works too. Uh, but yes, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think it's at Hightower Laurel at both places or might be Laurel Hightower on Instagram. Um, I'm also on TikTok. I'm really bad at it. Um, and I have a woefully outdated website, but the contact form does work. So even though it looks like we're stuck back in early 2020, the mail still gets to 2023, I promise. So <laughs> awesome. I feel like Laurel our website High- looks like it's from like 1998. So <laughs> it's a Even MySpace quarter. Yeah. Got a song yes. playing. It plays yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Laurel Hightower's new collection that every woman knows this is out from Death Knell Press on March 3rd. Highly recommend you go and pre order a copy today. Uh, it's a wonderful collection, and thank you for coming on the show with us today, Laurel. Thank you, Laurel. Thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. I appreciate I'm gonna go, it. I'm going to go jump back on a... I heard there's a Chinese balloon flying overhead, so I'm going to go... <laughs> <take a look. laughs> go catch it while it's coming through. <laughs>